If you would remain standing and open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Our text will be the first five verses of that chapter. And before I read them, let's ask the Lord's blessing upon the reading and preaching of his word. Let's pray together. Our blessed God, we do humble ourselves before you in Christ. Seeking, Lord, your presence, your power, your saving mercies, your graces, Lord, that you have favored upon us in Christ, that you have given to us, that you've abundantly poured out upon us. Lord, we come now to the preaching of your word, Lord, your most excellent word, your eternal word. And we ask that you would instruct us, that you would teach us. Lord, that you would lead us in the paths of righteousness, but Lord, also that you would show us, Lord, the excellence of a Christian ministry, the characteristics, the attributes, Lord, of a faithful minister, so that we would, Lord, know what to do, how to do it, Lord, what to strive for, what to do to glorify you in this place, Lord, and in our time, even in this day that we live in, O Lord, where the, the spirit of the age, Lord, so many are drunk on it. Help us, O Lord, maintain the integrity of a Christian ministry. Help us to maintain the integrity, Lord, of even a Christian minister, Lord. Come, empower us to see and understand and to uphold what your word sets forth. Lord, not because, Lord, we have, are, are more clever than others. We are not. Lord, because you are, we are enriched with your power and grace. Lord, your power, your glory, Lord, your goodness toward us is our foundation of our faith, our hope, our love, and all of our obedience flows from that great power that you are working in us. So, Lord, come now and bless the reading and especially the proclamation of your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Beloved, I want to begin reading verse 1 of chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. Hear now the word of the living God. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know, to not know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom or human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And thus ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Beloved, you can see in your bulletin the title of this morning's message, or at least in an abbreviated title to this morning's message, is a word for church planters, those who establish churches, those teaching elders, those ministers that are sent out to preach the gospel and to plant churches. 
I think this text is perfect for that, yet I still want us to be reminded of the broader context. God's wisdom against the world's wisdom. The spirit of God against the spirit of the age. That's the broader context. That's the larger context. That's the the overarching truth that Paul is addressing, and yet we have this small section of scripture that we can take and isolate it and bring it to the forefront to challenge ourselves as we look at what a faithful ministry should look like and what a faithful minister should do in this ministry. I know it's been um, enriching in my own heart and mind to dwell on these things, to pray through these things and to meditate upon these things and to be refreshed with the understanding that Christ is the true shepherd. And Christ is the chief shepherd. And Christ is the one growing and building his church. And I find that comforting as a minister. I would wither away and perish if I had to bear the responsibility of your sanctification. I would wither away. I would perish in depression. I'm not strong enough to hold up such a a, a duty, a role, but Christ is, and Christ does. And Christ uses under-shepherds and ministers what we call teaching elders. He gifts them and he powers them and he sends them out to carry out his purposes, to carry out the preaching of the gospel. Some to establish churches like Paul did here at Corinth. Others to go where churches are established and to continue to foster the edification and the building up and the sanctification of God's people that are already gathered there. Our confession summarizes and I think very concisely and concinctly, succinctly how the the church is to minister and that is it's the gathering and perfecting of God's elect. And I think that's a perfect summary of the the total work of the ministry. Everything else we learn from God's holy word about the Christian ministry can be easily categorized and, 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 and fit nicely into those areas, into those two areas. Beloved, we've already looked at several things that aid us and help us in understanding a faithful ministry, a faithful minister and a faithful ministry. Let me just cover those and then we'll get into the meat of our morning's lesson. First of all, we are brought to the realization that Paul focused solely upon the preaching of the gospel. He was sent to Corinth, God sent him there. God revealed to him that he had many there ready to believe, but he needed, they needed to hear the gospel. They needed to hear the, the preaching of the gospel. They needed a minister to go and take the word of God to them. And so God sent Paul there to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified, to preach the cross. These are the words Paul used in chapter one 
to preach the cross, to preach a crucified Savior, to preach the gospel. All of these things Paul did when he was sent there by God. Paul went and he focused upon the person and work of Christ. Now he went into a very pagan city, rich in paganism, steeped in worldly philosophy. No sense to rehearse any of those things. And yet Paul did not sit down and take a survey. He didn't hire a committee to take surveys. He didn't, he didn't take art lessons. And I speak for a particular reason. He didn't take art lessons. He didn't think I'm going to go sit up on a street corner and set up an easel and I'm just going to paint landscapes with crosses on them and people are going to come to Christ. I'm going to, I'm going to paint the, the sunrise and people are going to look at the sunrise and they're going to believe in Jesus. As glorious as God's nature is in pointing to his goodness and power, beloved, it has no saving quality in and of itself. And many of you know why I'm saying these things. Beloved, we are not called to be creative when it comes to the ministry. We're not called to be fantastical in our ideas. We're not called as, that is, God doesn't call a minister to exercise a degree of creativity that wows people into accepting Christ. We're not to overwhelm them with something so new and something outside of the original that they can't help but want to be in the club, so to speak. Paul was very aware of the philosophers of his day. Paul was a man of the age in one sense. He lived in that environment, in that circumstance. He was aware of these philosophers. He was aware of their teaching. Just like you are, just like you watch the news or you watch snippets here and there. You, however you digest what the current events are, you're fairly aware of what's going on around you. Paul was too. And yet Paul determined to go and to preach simply the word of God. Paul never felt like he was outmanned or undergunned. Paul recognized that the power of salvation was in the word of God, preached. And that God would come and bless the preaching of the word and that he would use that word powerfully in the hearts and the minds of those who hear it and he would aliven them and awaken them and then they would in turn then put their faith in Christ through the preaching of that gospel. Through the understanding that what Paul was telling them and teaching them and instructing them about Jesus Christ out of the word of God and in Paul's case, the Old Testament. Paul was expositing and explaining Old Testament prophecies and scriptures relating to Jesus being the chief shepherd of the sheep. 
Those prophecies that were even Isaiah says, I am going to present to you and give you a shepherd out of, well, my own heart. That was Jesus. I'm going to give you a faithful shepherd in contrast in Jeremiah's day to those corrupt shepherds. Those shepherds that were more in tune with the spirit of the age than they were with the spirit of God. We really don't find a new problem. But secondly, Christ, I mean, Paul wants to set before them the person and work, the doctrine of Jesus, the doctrine of Christ, his atonement, his work, his life, the perfection of his life. The the essence of who Jesus was, fully God and fully man. These were the things that Paul was teaching them. He was explaining to them that Jesus Christ is both God and man and one person. That he was before the foundation of the world as we read many weeks ago or several weeks ago, Proverbs 8, the personification of wisdom. Remember what this proverb says. It says that I was there, well, when? When everything was created, meaning that Jesus existed before there was ever anything, meaning that he's God. There's only one who existed before anything else, and who was that? But the triune God. And Jesus says, I was there. When you look at all of these passages of Scripture, when you look at what Paul is doing, and you, and you look at even in our day, when you look and you read what the Scripture says about Christ, beloved, he is either God and man or he's a liar. And if he's a liar, what are we doing here? In a day and time where everybody's so sensitive about wrong. How dare you misrepresent me? How dare you preach to me when you are such a hypocrite? I mean, in the day and time that is so sensitive, what are we doing here if Jesus is a liar? You see, beloved, what we know, or at least what many of us know, maybe not all of us here this morning, Maybe some of us here this morning are still contemplating these things, are still wondering about these things. But here, let me tell you, listen, you either accept Jesus as he is found in Scripture, or you don't. We are not allowed, and this is what every true minister of the gospel would say, and every faithful ministry would uphold, we're not allowed to create a Jesus that's palpable with our sensitivities. We are to bring ourselves into subjection to the revelation of the word of God and what it says about Christ and what it says about Jesus and what it says about his work, his life, his death and his resurrection and now his intercession and even his coming again. What did we confess this morning? Well, we confess the reality that Jesus lived a sinless life He was without sin, beloved. He did not sin in thought. 
He never sinned in any thought whatsoever. Let that sink in. He never had a wayward thought. He never thought how harsh my parents are, how they don't love me. Oh, how harsh God is. He never thought any of those things. He sweetly complied to all that he was put under with grace and integrity. When I say grace, I mean with the strength that was provided. Because remember what Scripture says, what John says about Jesus. He was one full of grace and truth. He sweetly complied to his circumstances. His, we all know, brothers and sisters, that his siblings had a hard time with him. And it was after the resurrection that they come to faith. It was after that. And brothers and sisters, Paul wasn't called to be creative. He wasn't called to go and somehow address them according to the spirit of the age. No, Paul went to them in the authority of the word of God. He went to them and he preached a Christ that was contrary to their logic and reasoning. Remember what just happened to the apostle Paul on Mars Hill? Remember what happened in Athens? What's the strange doctrine, Paul? What's this strange doctrine you're preaching? What do you mean? He was dead and now he's alive? See, it, it totally blasted their reason. It totally blasted their logic. Oh, wait a minute. Dead people don't get up from the dead. Dead people don't rise. How many have you seen rise? Come on. How many have you seen rise? Raise your hand. And they were like, what do you mean? What is this strange thing we're listening to? See, Paul didn't learn, you know, Paul didn't experience that. And he said, oh, okay, God, you're sending me to Corinth, but I'm not going to make the same mistake I made on Mars Hill. And that's what, that's what, that's what human ministers do. That's what, when, when ministers are drunk on the spirit of the age, they'll say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to... I'm going to break all of this down and I'm going to just stimulate their reasoning and I'm going to coach them into the kingdom. I'm going to cheerlead them into the kingdom. I'm going to best friend them into the kingdom or wow them into the kingdom. Paul said, no, I'm going to go and I'm just going to preach Christ. I'm going to go and preach the gospel. I'm going to go preach the cross. I'm going to go preach faith and repentance. I'm going to tell them they need to put their faith in this Christ who has been, yes, raised from the dead. I'm going to tell them they need to repent of their sins. Their carnality, their worldliness, they don't bring that into their relationship with Jesus Christ. They have to be washed they have to be cleansed and they need to reject it and deny it. They need to come submissively and humbly to the foot of the cross. That's what I'm going to teach. 
Wait a minute, Paul. These are powerful, educated people. They have wealth. They have education. They have prominence. They have political power. I mean, they are cut above. These aren't country bumpkins. Yeah, I'm just going to tell them they need to repent of their worldliness. I'm just going to tell them about Christ. I'm going to tell them who Christ is. I'm going to tell them what Christ has done. And I'm going to tell them what they owe to this Christ that God has sent into the world. That's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to trust God for the results. So Paul preached the gospel. I mean, he preaches the unadulterated word. He preaches the gospel. He carries himself, as he says, in weakness and trembling, meaning Paul was not all show and no go. Paul wasn't there to be this flash of success, you know. He wasn't like the, uh, what you find today in these modern, you know, uh, life coaches. You know, if your life coach pulls up in a beat-down Toyota that's 15, 20 years old with 300,000 miles on it with smoke boiling out the back, you're going to be like, eh, I'm not sure I might be wasting my money on that life coach. And Paul was... So you have to have a level of flash to You have to have a level of, listen, you really want to listen to me. You really want to follow me. Paul wasn't like that. Paul said, I, listen, I, I don't bring anything about myself that's important to you. I'm just a humble servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm just one that's been saved from my own sin and brought out of the depth of my own destruction when I was walking my own path to destruction. I was walking my own path to wisdom. I was walking my own path of logic and reason and I was going straight to hell and God intervened and saved me and now he has called me, he has gifted me, has empowered me to go and preach this Christ and so I bring this Christ, the same Christ that saved me, I'm preaching to you. And just like I had to repent of my sins and put my faith in this Christ, that's what he's calling you to do too. There's no exceptions. Just because you're Americans. The land of the free, the home of the brave, you too must repent of your sins and put your faith in Christ and not in the American Constitution. I got a lot to say about that, but I won't right now. And I'm a fan of the Constitution, by the way. But we have to reveal, we have to understand our place. We have to understand that when it comes to our salvation, when it comes to our, our morality, our integrity, these graces that are poured out into us by the Spirit of God, they don't come from men and they don't come from documents written from men. They come from God. It's the power of God. And that's what Paul teaches them. Meaning this. All of these institutions, and even as good as they may be, well, they're not saving anyone. And now they may reform someone outwardly, but they're not going to save them. And you can die and go straight to hell as a reformed person. You can go straight to hell 
with a library full of books on self-help, everything. You can go straight to hell by being a member of every kind of soup kitchen, closet, whatever the case may be, and I'm not begrudging any of these ideas. But what I'm telling you is they don't, form the in, they don't reform the inward man. Only the power of God can do that and does that. Only the power of God can come into your life and cleanse your dirty heart. Only the power of God can come into your life and expose to you your carnality, your worldliness, your lusts, and show you who you really are and what you need to do about it. And, and also show you that he's provided a savior for you. Verse five is the verse we're focusing on. And, and again, it's, it's the purpose of the whole text and the whole passage. Paul tells us in verse five, he said, now, why did I do these things? Why was I so careful? Why was I so precise? Why did I come so simply? Why did I, why was my person and my ministry such a contrast to the spirit of the age? He said, so that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. What a minister. Paul's not taking, you know, resumes to be a groupie. You want to be my groupie? You want to? No, Paul's not doing it. Paul said, I don't want you focused on me. You don't need another guru. You don't need another philosopher. You don't need another self-help life coach. You need a savior. You need a shepherd. You need a God that has the power to change you inside out. You, have, you need a God that can send his spirit into your life and destroy your pride. Pride is the mother of all sins, isn't it? God even spared the apostle from pride. If we go back and you read the end of the second letter to the Corinthians that we have in Holy Scripture, Paul says that. Paul reveals that, hey, Lord, if you could just help me out here, I could do so much more in your name. And God says, no, 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 Paul. I am leaving that thorn in your flesh to keep you humble and dependent upon me because it is in your weakness that I am made strong. Let that sink in, beloved. I want to say, I think if there's a lesson that we can need to hear or a comment we need to hear, brother, that is becoming more and more to me disturbing about Christian counseling, about the way Christians view life, and about the way ministers view the ministry. At the first sign of difficulty, we want to bail. The first sign of difficulty, we somehow take ourselves to the Lord in prayer and go, what's happened? What are we? Lord, Lord, take this away from me. Why? Because somehow we... Part of the spirit of the age is 
Life is to be all fun and games. Do you, have you ever did a word search in Scripture and looked up the word fun? Huh? Have you ever tried that? Have you ever done that? Do that. See what you come up with. Fun. And yet, how many times do I use fun in a week? Have fun. Hey, have fun. Hey, hope y'all have fun. Hey, did you have fun? Now, is there anything inherently wrong with having a good time? No. But what has happened to us, we're drunk on it. Everything has to be fun. And if anything comes into our environment, into our circle of circumstances and responsibilities and duties and challenges the fun theme, oh, the world must come to a halt. And then we just begin to fall down and pray, Lord, take this away. Not meaning. Look, even ministers. The moment the ministry becomes difficult, ministers want to bail. Lord, these people are hard. These sheep, want to, don't, they don't want to gather. They don't want to love your word like I do. They don't study Greek and Hebrew. They don't spend 10 and 12 and 13 hours a week in prayer. Lord, what's wrong with these people? They need somebody. I can't, I can't shepherd these kind of people. I, I'm a minister of the spiritual. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, we've become drunk on the spirit of the age when it comes to our spiritual life, when it comes to the shepherding, when it comes to the word of God. And even the word of God, we, we only read it when we feel like it. We don't study it as the word of grace. That's what it calls itself. It's the word of truth. It's the word of grace. It's the word of life. Those are pretty important things. And, and, and maybe when it's difficult, we come to it or, or whatnot, but we skim it. And yet God painstakingly wrote the Bible over 1,500 years. Used many kinds of authors to compile it in all kinds of circumstances, in various forms of genre, literary genre, so that we would get a taste of all these different ways in which God's word is powerful unto salvation setting forth Christ in numerous ways before us. Not just tickling our intellect, but penetrating our hearts. Paul says in this verse, there's two important conjunctions, and these are important to the verse. The first one is we interpret it so that. That's the, the hoti. Uh, what we call in Greek the hoti clause. It's the purpose clause. That conjunction gives us purpose. So that, meaning it's important and it's, it's, it's 
needs to be addressed. I want to make sure that I minister in such a way that you don't put your faith and trust in me. Look what Paul's dealing with. He's dealing with the divisions and the factions of the church. Oh, I trust. Hey, Apollos baptized me. So-and-so baptized me. So-and-so baptized me. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I listen to so-and-so. He's, he's the best. Paul said, I, I was so careful. I didn't want to present to you the option that somehow I'm your spiritual guru. I'm a minister of the gospel. I'm a follower and lover of Jesus Christ like you. Yes, a minister. Yes, your father in, in the spirit, in the faith. Yes, it, in, is, as it comes to spiritual birth. Yes, I am your father. And Paul had no problem telling them to imitate him in those Christian graces. No minister should have a problem saying, listen, brothers and sisters, imitate the minister. Imitate me as I demonstrate patience, as I am long-suffering, as I am all of these things that are beneficial to you. Paul had no problem with that, and a minister shouldn't. He ought to be able to do that. If he cannot do that, what's he doing ministering the gospel in the office of minister? Fathers are examples. Politicians are examples. I know. Ministers are examples by nature of the very office they hold. Older people in the congregation are examples. Older siblings are examples. So Paul says, I was so careful. And then there's the second conjunction, but in verse five, where he says, not, but should not be in the wisdom of men. But, now this is a very strong Greek conjunction. It's the conjunction of contrast. But in the power of God. That is, I'm not here so that you would put your faith and trust in me. Do you think anything's changed? Do you think we, do you think that we still may have a problem like the Corinthians did when we're always looking to some, for somebody to idolize? You think, are we, have we matured beyond that? I don't think we have. I think human nature, especially fallen human nature, wants to gravitate to being, well, entertained and tickled, fancied, even if it's in the self-help environment. Make no mistake about it, the Greek philosophers of their day practiced wowing the people with their rhetoric. They worked on their craft, so to speak, very much like entertainers today. You're moved by their presence and by their methods and by their oratory. You're, you're emotionally moved by their work. And Paul says, I was so careful. I, didn't want, I knew that would be the case, so I did the opposite. Brothers and sisters, are we saying that God's opposed to a minister of the gospel that is very eloquent in his speech? No. It's not necessarily the eloquence of the words that are the problem. It's the intention behind it. Are you being pointed to Christ? Are you being pointed to man? 
Are you being pointed to the wisdom of Almighty God, that divine wisdom? Are you being pointed to the spirit of the age that's constantly evolving into just something other? It's, it's humanism repackaged over and over and over and over. And it all leads to hell. It all leads to the same place, to the same locale, to the same destination. That highway is on the path to hell. And you have to be delivered from it. And only God can do that. So as we sit here and as we talk about Paul's methodology, really, this is the word to the church planters. I think we have to think about presbyteries. We have to think about presbyters. We have to think about churches. That is, what is it that a church ought to look for in a minister? Well, it ought to look at these things that, is, that, that we've already mentioned, that is integrity. At its very foundation, the, the authority of Scripture, the glory of God, the cross of Christ, his atonement, his work, his intercession— and the minister's ability to point and move and direct God's people, the sheep of his pasture, to him. That doesn't mean we can't appreciate those men that do that. Paul tells us later on in Corinthians that a minister is worth his hire. That is, a faithful minister is worthy of compensation. Even though Paul said, I didn't want compensation from you, I was careful to what? Work at tent making so that you could never accuse me of living off of you. That's what Paul said. He didn't want to give them any excuses. He didn't want to give these super apostles, these agitators, these troublers and troublemakers, that's what they are. That's what they're doing. They're upsetting the body. They're upsetting the fellowship of Christ. They've inserted, they've infected it with their own doctrine, the the spirit of the age, the wisdom of the world, and they have absolutely fractured and and, and caused this church in need for the apostle Paul to intervene and to write a letter and say, listen, y'all need to get this straight. Now, what he's going to tell us later on in the letter, he's going to say, listen, I'm coming And I hope when I come, you have worked this out. Because when I come, I'm not sparing anybody. Now you say, whoa, that doesn't sound like a meek, mild minister. Brothers and sisters, the shepherd has to pick up the staff and beat off the bears and the lions. And there are plenty of enemies that are circling the church that need to be beat off. Especially those that come in the pretense of, you know, preaching's not essential. Preaching's not necessary. All we have to do is draw a picture, maybe just do a skit. Maybe we just need to write a play. Or do some ballet. Anybody here do ballet? Anybody here want to direct a skit? That's, you know, let, let's, let's entertain the people into the kingdom. Or let's just move one step to the right. Let's just be conservative. 
Because another warning to all ministers and to church planters and to Christians is that conservatism is not necessarily Christianity. Okay? You can say, I'm a conservative. What are you conserving? What are you conserving? All, listen, you may be a Christian and have some conservative tendencies. Perfectly fine with that. But don't mistake being a conservative and being a Christian all in the same one. That don't work. Because, listen, I know I'm preaching to the choir in many ways. But we need to hear it. I need to say it. And others that come and listen to these sermons need to hear it as well. And beloved, it's like this. It's like, you know, just the whole mega movement, conservative movement are going to save this country. That's foolishness. There's only one thing going to save this country. And let me give it to you in scripture terms. Righteousness exalts a nation. Can you agree with that? What tears it down? Sin, wickedness tears it down. Righteousness exalts a nation. And there is no righteousness outside of Christ. So, beloved, we have to, we have to, to live this in this world as Christians, spirit-filled, Bible-believing, Bible-understanding, Bible-knowledgeable Christians. We bring into the world and this environment our understanding of the cross of Christ and how it affects me. We are to be, we are to focus, live. That in our families, in our churches, obviously, and in the world that we live in. Christ first. Christ first. I wanted to go, and we're not going to have time to go in all these things, but I wanted to talk about the minister's ability and, and need and the integrity a minister must have in teaching sound doctrine. That's important. Because again, more men have been called than you imagine, than you can imagine because they are likable. Because maybe they study well. Because they're nice. Because they're friendly. But not because they're doctrinally sound. And that has polluted and corrupted the church. How is that minister to lead the congregation into right thinking about various heresies that are surrounding them and about various heretics that circle them? Remember what our Lord Jesus said. I'm just going to cover just some of these verses as we get into the application of it. Remember, it was Jesus said, hey, I'm sending you out. All authority has been given to me. Go, therefore, into all the nations, teaching them what I've commanded you. I don't need your creativity. I don't need you to take a survey. I don't need you to find out what they think about me. I am sending you to teach them what I have told you to teach them. Who knows better 
you than Jesus. Let me ask you this. Ponder this, please. Who knows you better, you or Jesus? Who knows you better? Who knows you more thoroughly inside and out? Yourself or Jesus? And I'm not saying you don't know yourself. I'm not saying that at all. I do think we know ourselves. We, Paul uses that logic in the next chapter. But who knows you better? Who knows you more? Who, know, who, who has a better complete understanding of you? Because mine's limited of myself. And sometimes I don't even know who I am. I lash out or I have this run. I'm like, where did that come from? I thought I defeated that anger. I thought I was, I was going to be more careful with this person. What did I just do? Look at what I just did. Did I surprise the Lord Jesus? Did I surprise the sovereign God? No, not at all. I surprised myself. And why did that happen? Because I don't have a thorough understanding of who I am. I do have some. But what I do know is what the Bible says about me. I do know what Scripture says. And guess what? This is infallible. The Bible says my heart is very slippery. Some translations as sick. Some translated as deceived. The bottom line is whatever... English word covers up the Hebrew word there, it's, it's not good. It's not good. So Jesus sends these ministers out and he says, teach what I tell you to teach. Paul, even writing to Timothy, the young pastor, he says, 1 Timothy chapter 2, or chapter 3, verse 2, he says that an overseer or an elder or a bishop, these words all are relatable and mean the same thing, says, therefore must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. That is, we ought to look for in a minister what? The spirit empowering that minister to be able to convey and to communicate and to declare and to proclaim the doctrines of God's holy word and to do it in a way that's faithful, not to you, to scripture. It has to be faithful to the word of God. That's what Paul is saying. I didn't use worldly means to communicate divine truth. I used the divine means to communicate divine truth. Now, brothers and sisters, we have a thing in the ministry that we talk about. And it's, 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 a, it's like this. It's whatever you win people with is what you win them to. I didn't make that up. Somebody else did. But I agree with it, and I think you should too. If we're going to use ponies and balloons and skits and theater to fill the church up, you got to keep doing it. You have to continue utilizing the means that brought them there to keep them there. 
You can't win them with dogs and ponies and balloons and theater and then expect to slip in sound doctrine. Because you know what they're going to do? This is boring. Wow, an hour? 30 minutes? Woo. I, I mean, I, I know churches that have, I, I guess we still call them churches. I mean, in one sense, it kind of helps us understand what we're talking about. They barbecue on Sunday. And they sit around the barbecue and they smoke meat and they talk, the men talk about theology. How pious. How shameful. Where's that? Can you imagine the Apostle Paul? Look, man, I came out there and we got some smokers. We started smoking some Boston butts and some briskets and, hey, you know, we started building a church. No. But you see, we, it's hard for us to even bust out laughing because it's so sad. And you know what's sad? Many of those dear brothers are going to go straight to hell. I say brothers only in a familiarity, only in sort of a fraternalistic way, not in Christ. You, you know what? And Paul's going to address this in the next chapter or so. You know how you know you have the Spirit of Christ? Because you long for the revelation of Jesus. You know how the Spirit is dwelling you and empowering you? Who did the Spirit, who moved upon men to write the Word of God? The Holy Spirit. That's what Peter says. Peter says, men of old, moved by the Spirit of God, wrote down the Word of God. What did the Spirit who wrote the Word empower the men to write the Word? Now, how does he empower the one who receives the Word? And what is their longing when they hear the Word and they want to live it out? There is Jesus. The Spirit of God is working in this person, Jesus. And that's why Paul says, your faith was founded upon the power of God. Brothers and sisters, if you have the spirit of Christ, you long for Christ, not barbecues, not theater, not show. You long for the substance of your Savior. You long for the fellowship and communion of your Savior. Hey, just like Jesus cried out, my Lord, my Lord, why hast thou forsaken me? That's where we are when we even begin to contemplate being without Christ. Oh, Lord, don't leave me. Don't even leave me to my own slippery heart. Oh, Lord, don't leave me in this hardship as I pastor this church. Empower me, oh God, that I may rise up, proclaim the cross, and show the people the chief shepherd of the sheep. Empower me, oh Lord, to listen to these sermons. Help me make sense of them, Lord. Don't leave me. Help me reveal yourself in these messages, oh Lord. Come and feed me yourself. so that I may love you more, repent more, 
and trust in you more. Lord, forgive me for putting my trust in political parties and political entities and, and methods and wranglings about this world and about our nation. Oh, Lord, come and bring revival. Send ministers to preach the simple gospel of Christ and pour your spirit out upon the listeners. Brothers and sisters, there's a famine in the land. You know why there's a famine in the land? Because the people of God have neglected the word of God. And he says, okay, how do I stimulate you? I'll begin to withdraw it. To create in you a greater hunger and a thirst. Have you ever... This may not be a perfect illustration, but I think it makes sense to me. Hopefully it will you. I'm simple. You ever got the munchies at night for certain things? You know, I love chips, and I want to eat chips. And I get up, and I go to the counter, and guess what? There's no chips. And guess what I want even more? Where are those chips? Who ate my chips? They know those are my chips and they know not to touch my chips. But my chips are gone. And so I walk around the house. I look in all the cabinets because I'm thinking they done picked up my chips and they done moved them because I have a spot for my chips. Now that's silly, isn't it? I'm a silly person like that. But when I don't have it, I want it more. That's the word of God. You don't have it. You want it more. And when God begins to chasten his people and to create that yearning, that hungering, that thirsting, what does he have to do? He has to begin to withdraw his, he withdraws it. Brothers and sisters, are you hungry for the word of God? Are you thirsting? Are you thirsting for righteousness? Are you thirsting for the word of truth, the word of grace, the word of life? Not a man. The word, the word of Christ. Christ is your savior. Christ is the power of God for you unto salvation. He's going to change your marriage. He's going to change your life. He's going to change your walk. He's going to change your disposition. He's going to change the way you think. He's going to change the way you see this world. He's going to change the future. The way you see it. The way you live in it. The way you approach it. Jesus is the power of God and the salvation. And I long, beloved, like you do, for the day where there are churches on every corner, good ones, that preach this Jesus. And they're all of them are full. You know, there's enough people in this county, Forsyth County, to fill up all these churches, isn't there? Where are they? Well, some of them are at the lake. Some of them are on the, on the water fishing. Some of them are at the mall shopping. Some of them are, well, they stayed up too late and they caroused all night, so they're going to have to sleep out, you know, throughout the day. And you know what they're missing? Jesus. His word of truth. His word of grace. As it, as it has been ordained to be given 
to the people of God, by the minister of God through the shepherd of the sheep. I hope, brothers and sisters, that we never find ourselves willfully, rebelliously absent from the preaching of the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation and that which our faith rests upon. Let's pray. Now, Father, we have just touched uh, again, Lord, the surface of such a rich text of Scripture. It is as if Paul is walking around in our day, Lord, and he wrote this book. And he wrote this letter to us. Lord, I pray that you would keep us, Lord, from the distractions and from the the possible divisions that can come when giving ourselves to so much information. Lord, as long as that information points us to Christ, Lord, let that be so. Let that be good. But let Christ be our chief shepherd. Let the Spirit of God be the power of Christ unto salvation, Lord, and let us look at our own lives and make sure, O oh Lord, who do we long for? What do we seek, Lord? What minister can lead us to Jesus? And Lord, because that's our focus, is Christ. Lord, would you be so pleased to cleanse us and forgive us of our sins where we have, Lord, where we have differed? Where now you have reminded us, Lord, let us, Lord, set Christ before us. Give us a fresh, a renewed interest in Jesus, Lord, please. Give us a hunger and a thirst, Lord, unquenchable, Lord, that only can be quenched through the reading, the meditation, the memorizing, and the preaching of your most holy word. Come, O Lord, even now, as we partake of this supper, as we feast by faith upon the body and blood of Christ, O Lord, satisfy us with Christ. We pray all of this in Christ's name, amen.